Hello and welcome to What We Can Say on Sunday. Um, it's so nice to be back. It's been a while since we've we've been able to do one of these. Um, I'm here with Daniel Simmons today. Daniel, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Ross. Yeah, um, and um, for those of you who haven't listened before, um, What We Can Say on Sunday is just a podcast we have to discuss our sermon. Um, the idea is that we'd be able to not have to say every single last thing about a Bible text on a Sunday during a sermon. Um, because then our sermons could be an hour and a half or two hours long. And um, I don't think the people in the nursery would hold up under that. <laughs> You're right. So um, the idea is that we can take some of the information we have and we can instead um, spend uh, some time on the podcast uh, discussing it. Um, so, yeah, please, please listen. I uh, assume if you're listening, you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in the shower, when you're exercising, when, whenever you want to just plug it in and listen to it, please do so. Um, but I'm technically not the host today. Da- Daniel is. Because um, he's going to ask me the questions. He's going to guide where we're going to go. And I'm just going to be the person who talks about my sermon. So take it away, man. Thanks, Ross. So you preached on Sunday. Yes. And it was The Christian and Politics was the, was the title. That's right. Uh, w- can you tell me about that sermon? What was, what was it all about? Sure. The main point of it was Jesus is the only ruler who can heal ourselves and our society. Mm. And what the sermon attempted to address was this perennial or habitual mistake that we make today that Israel made in the past. It's something to do with our human nature, mm-hmm. which is to put our hope and trust in political power mm. to make our world the way it should be. Mm. And political power can't do that. Political power can help political power can pass good laws, but political power cannot renew the creation like Jesus can. Mm. And I talked about how Israel specifically, instead of calling out to God, called out to Assyria to help them. Right. And how that actually was so offensive to God Mm. because he wanted to be their savior and them to call upon him. But when they're calling on Assyria, they made it look like God was no big deal and Assyria was a big deal. And so that's actually really offensive. Um, And where that hits home is that when we act and talk and think like politics is the be all end all Mm -hmm. of everything, we actually make a big deal out of politics and a small deal out of God. That's good. And, and we fail to be the representatives to one another, to the culture that he deserves Mm -hmm. and that we ought to be. Um, so, so that's where I, I went with the sermon was, was turning it on ourselves and asking, are we hoping in political power or are we hoping in Jesus? And, um, and one of the biggest reasons to hope in Jesus is because administration after administration, the government fails to live up to what we expect from it. And the world stays just as broken and in many ways grows more broken. And we really need a king who can heal hearts, Mm -hmm. not just heal laws or heal systems, but heal human hearts. Mm -hmm. Um, no matter what system you have, and I strongly believe, as you know, that there are better systems than other systems. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, a system can't ultimately better be better than the people mm-hmm. who are a part of it. Mm-hmm. And since we're the, we're the problem at the end of the day, the government isn't the biggest problem. It's us. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus is the only solution because when he dies and rises from the dead and when he causes us to be born again and gives us new hearts, we actually become new people with new hearts. Mm-hmm. And so he resolves the biggest tension and the biggest problem, which is that 
our society consists of sinners. Hmm. And Jesus makes sinners righteous and helps them to live more righteously in, a, in love one another. Yeah. Um, my application came down to, um, while political participation is good, and I would even say responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you don't vote, we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it's a horrible, horrible thing, but um, the Bible says do good to all, especially mm-hmm. those in the household of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think you do good to people by voting for the best option. That's good. Um, but we'll talk more later about the Christian's involvement with politics. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically my application was let's not look to government agencies to meet the needs of the weakest and poor in our society. Mm -hmm. Let's do it ourselves and let's try to do it better than the government can do it. Um, because when we're doing it, we're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be something different. That's not to say everything the government does is bad or worthless or valueless, but just to say that that's just not fundamentally the way Jesus plans to spread his kingdom. Yeah. He's, he plans to spread his kingdom through the church, mm-hmm. specifically making disciples. You can do more for more people by helping people get meet Jesus than you can by giving them something mm-hmm. else. Even if there's something else is really important. Mm-hmm. Housing is very important to people. Food is very important to people. But at the end of the day, it's not going to have a contagious transforming effect on society like Jesus can. Mm. Um, and as an example, I look to the Great Awakenings. The landscape of this country really changed when people were coming to Christ. Mm. So many of the hospitals, so many of the charitable organizations, so much of the this country's tradition of caring for the vulnerable and the weak came out of those eras. They just didn't exist when people showed up here. All of this concern for people who are weak and impoverished which that is a huge issue in our society right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to know how to help the most disadvantaged people. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? It didn't it didn't come from some government policy book. It came from people getting meeting and being changed by Jesus Christ and seeing how he relates to people like that. Mm-hmm. And um, some of those Christian values, even though a lot of people today, the majority of people wouldn't share Christian faith, some of those traditions and values still kind of linger on in our society. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to a certain extent, um, or a great extent, yeah. um, that that they do, that we do value human life in our society um, to a great extent. And, um, yeah, so um, I brought up the example of early Rome where the Christians um, were making the emperor uncomfortable because of how good of a job they did. And... Um, I do want to get to that later, um, kind of nuancing what that might look like in our culture, because it's going to look different than what it's going to look like in Roman culture. But um, at the end of the day, that was my sermon. Jesus is the only ruler who can really heal us. Jesus is the answer. And you make make the connection from Jesus to the church. Mm -hmm. The church is is the... uh, some have called like the the signpost of the kingdom of God, mm. pro- proclaiming Jesus and bringing Jesus um, to to the lost world. Do you think that's a good way to to talk about it? Does that feel accurate? Yeah, yeah, and I'd even I'd even say more than signpost. I'd say outpost. Yeah, um, it is almost like 
it's a part of this new kingdom that's mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. that's already here. Yeah. And we don't always perfectly live up to that, mm-hmm. but we re- we can be that. Yeah. And we are that a lot of times mm-hmm. when when Jesus changes us to love one another and to love other people like he does. Mm-hmm. Um, we become an embassy. Um, is it is a way I've heard the church described? Yeah. Um, an embassy is a foreign country's space in another country. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. is mm. Chinese territory for that little 500 by 500 foot mm. plot of land. Yeah. And the and the hope is that when God's people gather, that that becomes heaven's territory. Sweet. Um, and when people are there, it's it's experiencing what heaven's going to be like because yeah. it's, it's coming to the kingdom of this earth mm-hmm. um, already in anticipation of what's coming next. Yeah. That's great. So, this is what your sermon is about. What what did what did you miss? What do you feel like you uh, wish you could have said? Sure. In the sermon. Yeah, the first thing, and and you pushed me on this, is to explain how the kingdom changes in the story of the Bible, because if you notice, um, and I'm I'm sure you do, we don't have a king, and we're not in a nation called mm-hmm. Israel anymore, right. and there's not priests and a temple. Um, like there used to be. And um, I think we can often gloss over, kind of say, oh, that was just back then and not understand how it connects and relates to today. But there's actually a very logical um, story that unfolds that transitions from where Israel's kingdom was to where our kingdom is today. Mm -hmm. And essentially, um, the kingdom of Israel is God's kingdom or God's people in God's place under God's rule. Mm-hmm. That's what Israel is. Good. Um, and and it's it's a kingdom among other kingdoms, but it's a special kingdom because God chose to put Himself there and to dwell there um, as the true King Himself. Uh, David and Solomon were kind of like under kings beneath mm-hmm. the true King, mm-hmm. and they would, when they're doing right, rule the kingdom by His word. So um, nation, Israel would be judged when they sinned against their true king, Yahweh. And even the king under king would be punished when he violated his true allegiance to that king. Mm. Now, um, we know this kingdom failed because it had the same problem as our kingdom had, has today. The kingdom of this earth is that there was new laws in the word, in the word of God for them, but there weren't new hearts to obey those laws. Yeah. Um, so they had a lot of the same abuse and oppression and wickedness and immorality that all the other nations did around them. And so God punished them and they fell. Um, Israel was supposed to be an embassy of heaven, mm-hmm. just like the church is. That's right. But if you entered that embassy, it would have felt like you were still on earth. Right. You wouldn't have felt like you went anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You would have felt like you were in Nineveh or Babylon or... Egypt, it would just, um, in a lot of their history, there were times where the, I think the people were saved and Israel was different. But mm-hmm. but if you look at the trajectory of their history, um, largely they failed to be what they were supposed to be. And that's what Hosea gets gets at. I mean, most of the book here, there are a series of accusations against them because they, they don't look like 
Yahweh's bride. They don't look like mm-hmm. the people of God, but rather have have turned to look just like the the other nations. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. and that and that's why that kingdom comes to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, there is technically an Israelite nation now since 1948. <laughs> um, full disclosure: I don't think that that's a resurrection of the Old Testament kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, it came to an end. Um, 586 BC, yeah, um, when they went to exile, and since then up until 1948, Israel has never, the Jewish people have never had political sovereignty of that land, um, because God did something much greater than than that. He, um, sad as it was and tragic as it was, um. It wasn't outside of God's plan. It was anticipating a greater part of God's plan to come next. Mm. And that is that he would send the true king who all the Israel Israelite kings failed to live up to, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he came and conquered his people's greatest enemy, sin and death. That That's was right. destroying them. Mm-hmm. And he died and rose again. And he is in the process of creating an eternal kingdom that will always be as good and beautiful as it was supposed to be. Um, but he's doing it in an unexpected way. Yeah. And that is, is that he's saving people from every nation and tribe, not just ethnic Israelites anymore, but people from every race and tribe and nation mm-hmm. to be part of this kingdom. But there's a delay as to when the king and his people get the actual kingdom. Mm-hmm. The earth will be that kingdom that they rule and reign in the realm. There's a delay into when they get the realm. Mm-hmm. We are, we have, we are a kingdom of people right now and we have a king, but we're waiting to get our realm. Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of one of the things we're anticipating and, and groaning for it. And because We're waiting for that new creation, that new place where we get to be God's people and God's place under God's rule. Mm -hmm. Because we're lacking the place, the place that we're in right now is a broken place. Mm -hmm. That's why there's the tension, is because we have the right king. We are new people, um, but the place has fallen, and even though we are new people, we still have that fallenness within us. Mm -hmm. And so we're also awaiting the day where we're not divided people, half new and half old. We're all the way new and all the way living in Jesus's kingdom yeah. in his place under his rule in his new creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so, so right now we're in this in between period right now Yeah. between when Christ came and established and inaugurated, began his rule and when he comes and actualizes it in full, mm-hmm. it's actualized in part right now mm-hmm. through specific people who are calling on his name and obeying the Bible rather than their sinful flesh or the systems of the world. But um, it's not totally yeah. um, brought into our experience. Um, that only comes when he comes back, which yeah. is which is why we, as his people, are always yearning and groaning for him to come back because we're not content with this. Um, and so the church is this gathering of King Jesus's people mm-hmm. Under his rule and reign, like we come together and he is enthroned as our king in that place. We're not 
quibbling about that. We're not apologizing for that. Like, he's in charge. Mm -hmm. We don't have any political authority right now. Mm. We will. The Bible says we'll judge angels Mm -hmm. um, when Jesus comes back. But right now, we are waiting on the place and the authority that his people will be with him. Mm -hmm. Right now, we get him Mm -hmm. and we get one another. And so it's part of the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom that we enjoy right now. Yeah. That, that's, that's what the church is. That's good. Um, so, so as I'm preaching the sermon, I just assumed all of that. I didn't mm-hmm. say all of that. Yeah. Um, but that is in my mind. And as far as I can tell what the Bible says, that's, that's what's going on. Um, that, that there is a, a flawed kingdom that prefigures the final kingdom. Right. That's perfect and bigger and better in every way. Mm-hmm. It's not just one nation, it's all the nations. There's a verse in Revelation that says the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God and of mm-hmm. his Christ. Yes. Um, and and now we're, we're actually part of that kingdom. We are a part of that kingdom in a way Israel never was. Mm-hmm. We have more of the king and more of the kingdom than he, they do, but it's... Um, we're still anticipating fully getting it. Yeah. Um, but that, but that's why we can live sacrificial lives yeah. because the, the, our inheritance is in here. It's, it's, it's coming. I'm reminded of Acts, uh, the beginning of Acts when Jesus has risen and, and they, he comes to the disciples right before he's in, ascended into heaven and they ask him, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Mm. When are you going to restore the kingdom? Mm. And Jesus said, that's not for you to know. That's, that's, uh, that's coming. But he said, but I want you to wait. I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem uh, so that the promised spirit, the promised Holy Spirit can be poured out on you. Mm. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that is like the the crux, the kind of the in-between of like this kingdom has come in Jesus. The king has come. Mm. We have received the kingdom. Yep. In the Holy Spirit given to us, mm. which is given access through the, uh, you know, cross, the temple curtain split in two, yeah. and we become the temple of the living God as the church, and that is what we carry around now. We, the kingdom of God in us, with us, together, uh, we then are priests to the world, mm. taking this this kingdom, this good news to the rest of the world. Would uh, would you add anything to that or is it, do you feel like that's a that's a helpful addition? So helpful. Yeah, I think one thing I was totally missing in my explanation that I didn't mention the Holy Spirit, but that's how we experience the king. Yeah. That's how we become an embassy of the new creation. Mm-hmm. That that's how it all happens mm-hmm. is God's present with us. Mm-hmm. Um and and I said before at the beginning of the podcast, we don't have a temple. We don't have priests like mm-hmm. well, actually we do. Yeah. But it just looks different now. Yeah, that's right. Can I ask you a question? How do you think um, our political involvement, maybe the way that we talk about politics or or what we want politics to provide, how does that maybe... um, How are we... Try, striving sometimes to get back what was what Israel had in in our in the way that we talk and think about politics. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, I I think um, when we embrace candidates who speak in utopian ways, mm-hmm. um, and maybe I'll get into this later, but that doesn't mean you can't vote for a candidate who speaks like that, mm-hmm. because you're oftentimes just have two bad decisions. And I think the responsible thing to do is to pick the less bad one mm-hmm. rather than pick an ideal one who's not even really an option. Mm-hmm. But when we embrace kind of the mantra and the vibe of a utopian sounding candidate, mm-hmm. um, I think I think we're, we're starting to try to, um, yeah, kind of create or, or regain something that we've lost. Um, I think... I think the religious right can do this when America is referred to as a Christian nation, Mm. um, which... That's good. I would agree in one sense we're a Christian nation in the sense that we have a Christian heritage, but in the the sense that we are a, a nation that is in a covenant, and I know people who speak this way, um, they're, they're, they're people I respect and love. Um, but, but speak of America as being in a covenant with God, mm. kind of like Israel was, yeah. and that um, the, the hardship and economic hard things that come on America are a result of our covenant disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's conflating the fact that the kingdom of God doesn't arrive in that kind of historical... Um, political sense until Jesus comes back. Yeah. Um, I think that, that this can happen, um, on, on the left as well. When, um, when terminology is used and I guess the right uses this to, to talk about a society where it's like, man, everything's fixed everything's broken like man if you vote for me i'm gonna fix wealth inequality right and racial inequality mm. and i'm not saying that those things can't be addressed but the way these candidates talk about it and the way people think about it is if we had the right people with the levers of power mm-hmm. these wouldn't be issues anymore yeah and it's just a few corrupt politicians who are keeping these issues as issues yeah and and Israel is a, an example that having laws that say you have to love other people mm-hmm. doesn't work if the people don't have hearts that love other people. Yeah. Um, so, so I see it. I see it on both sides. Mm. Um, kind of this utopian idea, whether it's a Christian utopia or more of a um, kind of. Um, democratic socialism kind of utopia right um either kind of utopian kind of way of viewing politics that it can somehow bring about this desired result is yeah. uh, i think a mistake i think we should have a humbler lower view of what the state can actually do and mm. should do mm. um one verse um i did not mention in my sermon i'm kind of surprised i didn't is first timothy two: pray for your kings and rulers yeah. and all who are in a high place um, doesn't say that they might fix your society, that yeah. they might repair everything that's wrong in the world. No, but that might you you might live a quiet life, yeah. peaceful and dignified in every way. Um, the New Testament authors seem to have kind of a lower 
restricted view of what the state ought to be and ought to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of are mostly silent on it. They, they, there isn't any sense in which the state is an aspiration for fulfilling the church's mission, mm-hmm. the means of the state. And I know they weren't convoked back then, and I know um, you couldn't speak your mind back then without getting your head cut off. Yeah. <laughs> So um, t- times has changed, but I don't think that just because we have new opportunities today that we should change the plan the Bible gave us. Yeah. Um, we should good. steward those opportunities well, but all of our eggs should be in the basket of making disciples, mm-hmm. praying, worshiping, feasting together. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we have a chance to go vote for the right person, we should do that too. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, did that, did that answer your question? It did. Okay. Yeah. Um, people are hurting, mm-hmm. like, really, really badly. And that's, you, you mentioned earlier, that's, I mean, that's why the, there's as much political involvement. People are trying to, uh, people are trying to fix problems, right? Um, when, when might we go wrong in trying to help when when might that go wrong even for the church what are things that we can do uh that that actually don't help but but potentially hurt sure that's great um yeah so so when you when you're talking about caring for the weak and the vulnerable society which i'm saying the church needs to do that and it should even try to do even better than the state does it Mm -hmm. um we have to take into consideration um how effective our attempts to help are. Hmm. Um, if, you, if you read the example I read um, in my sermon, I read the letter that the Roman Emperor Julian wrote where he's saying, hey, the church is doing such a better job than me that I'm embarrassed about it. He says, um, it is disgraceful that when no Jew, and he means Christian by that, when no Christian has to beg, and the impious Galatians, that's a slur for Christians also, yeah. and the Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Mm. Um, so the Roman world, there was huge problems where there's people starving and dying. Yeah. Um, there was an issue where they would people would just leave babies in the street that they didn't want mm-hmm. to be eaten by like dogs and things like that. Right. Um, just the most horrific things you can uh, imagine in yeah. our society. Mm-hmm. And the Christians would go around and scoop these babies up and take care of them. The Christians would um, take care of the poorest of the poor. Um, we live in a much different place today. And I believe we live in a much different place today because we've had so many Christians influence our culture and society in the past. Yeah. Um, in Minneapolis, unless you have severe mental illness, you cannot starve to death. Hmm. It is impossible. You cannot freeze to death. Mm -hmm. I think some people disagree with what I've said. I've, I've spent time with, homeless people lately mm-hmm. and people in need and poverty and on the coldest nights in the city and they get darn cold as you know <laughs> they can't they will not send you out into the cold right. and I'm not saying that doesn't mean you shouldn't take someone into your home if someone says to you I need 20 bucks or I'm going to starve to death that isn't true mm-hmm. that is not true um, right next door to my house, they hand out 
crazy amounts of food for free. Yeah. There are soup kitchens that serve for free. And none of that is to say that brokenness and poverty is not a gigantic issue right now because it is. Mm -hmm. But what people are lacking is not the most raw necessities for survival. Right. And that doesn't mean you're not in poverty if you have those things. Mm -hmm. Sure, if you have a gym floor to sleep on and a soup at the Salvation Army, you're not going to die, but your life is still very hard and you're still in poverty and you're probably being exploited and Mm -hmm. you're very vulnerable in a lot of ways. All of that is to say is that the church's strategy for addressing poverty should not be handing out free stuff. Yeah. Hmm. The government already does that. And we won't oh we won't be able to give out more free stuff than them. Because their budget is over a trillion dollars a year. Wow. At the federal level. Yeah. Which I have some thoughts about that too. <laughs> <laughs> There's the Hennepin County budget, which is in the hundreds of millions, the mm-hmm. Minneapolis City budget. And so the idea that man, if we just handed out enough free stuff, everyone would be okay. Mm-hmm. Is a symptom of having a materialistic worldview. Yeah. That people just need things. No. Um, people have a broken relationship with God. They have a broken relationship with themselves. They have a broken relationship with each other. And they have a broken relationship with the creation. Mm-hmm. And poverty is a result of those broken relationships. Right. So if you give someone with all those broken relationships cash or soup or a bed, that won't make them healthy. Yeah. That's not to say you shouldn't give them those things, right. but that can't be where we start and end and probably should not be where we put all our marbles. Fundamentally, what a person needs, of course, you and I would agree, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. But what a person needs to understand who Jesus is before they can put their hope in him is genuine, loving relationships where the person is valued rather than used. Yeah. Because there, people in poverty think that other people want to use them, and other people do use them all the time, day and night. And we don't use people. We love them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus doesn't use people. He loves them. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to love them so well that they believe that you are not using them before you can bring them to Jesus. Mm. And that might look like giving someone a place to crash. That might look like buying someone a meal. Um, But maybe the test I use, so someone asks me for money on the streets, right? I say, no, I used to give it out. John Piper told me to, (laughs) I don't, I don't think, I don't think I do that anymore. In, in the Bible does say if someone begs, for help, you cannot say no. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that commandment too. Jesus said that in Matthew right. 6. So what I think you cannot do is ever leave a conversation where someone asks for help without leaving them a lifeline. Hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to give them cash. What I tend to say to someone is, you know, I don't hand out money, but um, if you want to come over for dinner, here's my phone number, and I can we can continue to talk more about how we can help you get the things you need. That's great. Sadly, no one's ever taken me up on it. Yeah. People have been flattered, though, when I've told them. Yeah. They're like, oh, man, you would want to have me over for dinner? Um, 
And so I think that the test we should use when figuring out how to help poor people is how, how are we doing for time? We're good. Okay. Is um, we should always seek to build a closer relationship mm-hmm. with someone. Mm-hmm. If your help doesn't lead to a closer relationship between you and them, it's not wise help. That's good. Generally speaking, I know that was a pretty drastic <laughs> statement. Yeah. Of course, there's other situations that I can't foresee that you're going to run into mm-hmm. where that might not hold true. But as a general rule speaking, um, there should be a bonding between you and the person you're helping mm-hmm. where they're learning that you love them and you're not using them. Yeah. Because the only way they're going to come to Jesus if they, is if they understand that he's going to love them and not use them, mm-hmm. which is what they're used to being on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what our church, what our missional community, what our people should be doing is finding ways to serve people that leads to having valuable relationships with those people. That's good. Um, and oftentimes it's going to look like helping them access the resources that are already there and helping them do it themselves so that they're not babied and they're not that this idea that they have that, um, that man, I'm poor and I'm homeless and I don't have any value isn't solidified by you doing things for them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm a competent person with a job and a house and this is a incompetent person on the streets, Mm -hmm. but no, um, just because they're on the streets doesn't mean they don't have gifts that they're not intelligent people. And like, like, Hey, this is where, and help the person. Like, this is where you need to go to get your driver's license. Yeah. Or can I drive you there? Like you need to fill out the paperwork. Mm-hmm. I can help. I can sit by you when you fill out the paperwork. Right. Um, what, what goals do you have? Okay. You want, you want to have housing. Okay. Well, I have this ministry right next to my house called Jericho road. And there's a guy there who knows how to find and get into subsidized housing. Mm-hmm. Let's go talk to him together. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like, you can just stay at my house indefinitely mm-hmm. rent free or something like that. Yeah. Um, That's good. you know, so so it's just, it's just being more smart and it's enabling the person and it's showing the person you love them. Um, I tend to get this sense of when someone just keeps asking me for things, kind of like they're depending on me to do it for mm-hmm. them. And I have to shut that down pretty fast Yeah. because at that point I'm not, that they're using me and, and it's going to be hard for me to convey to them that I love them and I'm not using them unless that dynamic of the relationship changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working together towards a common goal. That's good. Um, so, so like, so man, I think the church should be a place where people are rehabilitated. Yeah. Um, better than any place else in society. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd love to see. And I think we probably have a lot of work to being a place <laughs> for, you know, a lot of churches have a place, Yes. but like, man, if someone could, meet Jesus and come off the streets and in a few years hmm. be like, yeah, I got my own place. I got my own job. Yeah. You know, I got out of my legal problems. I got treatment for my drug habits mm-hmm. and you know, I did it. They helped me, but I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a much, much better way to go about this than oh, I feel guilty because you have a sign and I'm going to give you 20 bucks yeah. and see ya. Yep. I was talking to a friend yesterday who is from a different culture, and he uh, he said that he's observed in his time in the United States that the family, the brokenness of the family, seems to be at the heart of the issues. Mm. 
in America or in the United States. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. I've heard that before. I've heard that from other people, but it was it was a, a helpful reminder um, that that there's actually major brokenness in the family. I'm curious if you could say anything to how the church might um, might help the family, serve the family, be, become family, the, these type of things. Could you say a couple words to that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that friend is so right. Um, God created the family and he created work right in the very fabric of creation. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in those seem to be essential ingredients towards thriving. Um, and so if you undo the family, mm-hmm. um, how is it going to happen? And, and in the people I've met, um, their job isn't that, I mean, their, their problem isn't that they don't have the skills for a job or are able to get a job. Usually it's this loss of trust in others. Mm-hmm. There's this loss of hope in life. There's this, uh, all the kind of security and emotional formation that an attachment that happens in a family, if, if someone doesn't have that, they seem to not be able to thrive in the world. Mm. Um, I've seen healing from that. Mm. Um, the best healing happens when someone meets Jesus and finds him to be the father that they didn't have or the parents they didn't have um but i i totally agree that um as the family goes so will the society Mm -hmm. um and i think the church is probably the best option for families that are need repair and healing people wounded people who need healing and families that are that are wounded um because who teaches us to love our wives better than Jesus does? And, right. And who teaches us to forgive better than Jesus does? Mm-hmm. And who teaches us to value children better than Jesus does? Right. Um, and, and what can help a family be restored other than a community that's committed to helping that family be restored? Yeah. Um, and so... I don't know how we're going to pull out of the tailspin we're in right now apart from the church. We're, we're in a tailspin because so many families are broken that the kids are broken, mm-hmm. which means that when they have kids, it's going to be broken. Mm-hmm. And you get to this tipping point where all you have is brokenness mm-hmm. and you need something to turn that around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see that happening apart from the gospel and Jesus. This is what seems like all the political endeavors are trying to do stop the tailspin mm. right yeah and each side is if you, you look at it in, in you know the left or the right is providing solutions to mm-hmm. the problem um but rosh you're saying you're saying that jesus needs to change hearts first jesus is the solution that's right and the church is is really the hands and feet of christ working as an outpost of the kingdom of God, providing for people um, a new way to live, a new society, uh, a new family. And, right. and this is this is really our hope. Exactly. Um, and this is, this is what Israel failed to, to, to run to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a different 
as as the you know new covenant people of God than Israel did. Um, but we have a lot to learn in, in what we see in Hosea. Yeah. And what what uh, where Israel failed. This is really good stuff, Ross. Yeah, that's right. Any, any other last comments that you'd like to add? Let me see if there's any more. Um, yeah, so I just want to talk really briefly about how Christians can serve in politics. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... Um, it, you can be a Christian and be in politics. It's not contrary to what the Bible says at all. Um, I think William Wilberforce is the the prime example of that. He was the English parliamentarian who led the fight to abolish the transatlantic slave trade. That's awesome. Um, During the Second Great Awakening. So I was talking earlier about how people coming to Jesus changes society. In the mid-1800s, under the ministries of you know, men like uh, Charles Spurgeon mm-hmm. and John Newton. Mm-hmm. Um, society changed to the point where William Wilberforce, after a lifetime of um, trying to get the transatlantic slave trade abolished, was finally able to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, it took a work of the spirit right. in England to yeah. get them to that point, mm-hmm. um, which would have been much preferable than the bloody civil war we fought here over it. Right. Like, what if, what if enough hearts were changed that we were just like... This, this can't happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there is a place for politics for the Christian. Um, if anyone's interested in that, I'd love to talk to you about why you should be a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because I think libertarianism restrains the state to its biblical role of restraining evil and not trying to fix and bring about a new creation. Hmm. Um, it restrains evil and allows people to be image bearers and do a partial restoration of society as we would like the final restoration. Um, the state is inherently um, a beast, uh, a behemoth, because it only uses force and coercion to accomplish its ends. Mm. So even when a politician says, I want to do this good thing, um, it oftentimes isn't a good thing because of the way they want to go about it is through the use of guns and force and police. Because even if it's, no matter what it is, if you say, no, I don't think we should do that, and it's a law, they will knock on your door. <laughs> and you won't be able to resist. Um, and I don't think that's the Christian way of doing things. Yeah. Um, I don't, th- I, I think we should care about the poor. I think we should love the poor. I think we should share with the poor but I don't think that it's wisest to say the government should use force and power to take money from someone and give it to someone else. Mm. And so that's a criticism of the left. A criticism of the right. I don't think the government should try to spread democracy to other countries with our military. Mm. Um, The argument is, oh, it's so much better for us. It'll be so much better for them. But how does it spread? Through bombs and blood and all sorts of different wars that I can't name a single country in the last 20 years that's better because we bombed them. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so whatever, whether you're on the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, um, 
there's always actually a push towards big government, mm-hmm. whether it's the security state, the warfare state, or the welfare state. It's always grows. And um, we don't have time for this, but it, it tries to engulf everything in society. Yeah. It tries to engulf every. The state always tries to grow and engulf everything and tries to replace God. Yeah. Um, and I think the best biblical way to engage in politics is to try to restrict the state to its biblical role of restraining evil, which I think quite cool tends to, to me to be pretty consistent with where the constitution restrains it. Um, so, so I would say if you do it, uh, be libertarian and talk to me more, (laughs) or if you just want to get coffee and talk more about libertarianism, hit me up. I I'm always up for it. Um, but just a final comment on how Christians should serve. Um, there's a very few strategic ways to make a big difference in politics including going to primaries, being an election judge, and voting. Those are probably the big three. Um, maybe I'll do a blog post closer to the election. Mm-hmm. In just a few hours, you can enter into like the 0.01% of the population that is making a difference in determining who gets to be on the ballot, mm. who gets to be president, yeah. things like that. Donald Trump didn't get to be president because someone from heaven came down and gave him the key to the Oval Office. Um Although I do think God wants him to be there. So maybe there's a sense that that's true. But at the end of the day, his people happen to show up to a meeting at a certain time and write a little thing on a piece of paper. Mm. That's how he became president. That's how he got on the ballot and became president. And it happened. And um, I think a lot of the country became aware of what caucusing is after 2016 because they're like, how did you know this guy get the nomination? Um, personally, I'm glad he got it as opposed to other people, but I can see why some people are concerned. Sure. Um, so maybe I'll do that. Um, I don't think that we should give tons and tons of time and treasure, time, talent, and treasure to politics. Mm-hmm. I know some people who are Christians who do believe that and they get off work and they spend evenings door knocking and, and, and just like, it's all consuming. I think if you're that passionate about politics and feel like God's put a call on you to make that big of a difference... I would say probably go into it as a line of work Mm -hmm. because I really think a lot of our free time should be consumed with making disciples. That's good. Um, So um, yeah, I'd be happy to nuance all everything I've said further. (laughs) If, uh, if anyone wants to talk more. Those are helpful categories, Ross. And, and um, I think, yeah, they synthesize a lot of information and, and I, I'll just say as long as I've known Ross and if you've known Ross at all, uh, he is he is not one to um, though he wants to convince because he's thought hard and long. Um, he helpfully uh, just in, has invited me and those that have heard him talk into uh, learning, into um, seeking to engage in these matters for the for the good of, of people because we are called to pray. Uh, for our for our politicians, and that mm-hmm. means not being ignorant as to what's going on. Mm. Um, and and then as as a church, I think it's important what you're saying is we we need to not be ignorant. Yes, we know the answer is Jesus and the church. <laughs> yeah. But we also need to to see what what are people doing, what are people saying, how can we provide what they're trying to provide in the church. So I, I appreciate you calling us to, to learn and engage uh, in service to others in, in love. Um, but at the end of the day, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our answer. Thanks for 
your your uh, message this Sunday and for sharing with us today. Yeah, awesome, man. I thought that was a great podcast. And um, just so you guys know, if after any sermon in the future you have questions, send them in so we can answer them on the podcast. Um, it makes it way more interesting if we have questions. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we love you, family. Love you. Bye.